One of the things that struck us about Kununurra when we moved here was a sense of community. Our first introduction was the church community where we were welcomed and made to feel at home very quickly. But then it didn't take us long to realise that Kununurra itself has a strong community. There are lots of community sporting and volunteer organisations and it's a very friendly, welcoming place to be. As I describe Kununurra to people who don't live here, I describe it as a friendly place, a place where there's community. It's not how I imagined Kununurra would be. I kind of had more of an image of Kununurra being like a, a bit more like Wyndham, actually, with like just feeling a bit dead, tumbleweed. Uh, but it was a pleasant surprise to find that that's not the case. But, but what, what makes a place have good community? Is it the shared liking of being able to play sports with other people or having similar hobbies? Is it having something in common? with others, shared experiences, you know, the watermelon Olympics at the Ag Show, or the shared experience of nearly getting bogged on Valentine Springs Road in the wet season, or surviving the crazy humidity and temperatures during the build-up. Or is it something more? What about here in the church? What makes our community? Is it our shared beliefs? Our like for one another? Is it our shared experience that we, we sing together, pray together, read God's word together? Is it our love for good coffee after church? Or is it something more? What is it that binds us together? What makes us a church community? What is the foundation of our fellowship? And that's what we're going to look at this morning as we look at 1 John chapter 1. Now, just to give you a bit of context about the letter of 1 John, uh, it's most likely, but not conclusively, written by the Apostle John. And he's written to a, to a church that he has a strong relationship with, a church he obviously cares about. And the Apostle writes this letter so that the church would remain in fellowship with him and in fellowship with God. You see, there is something threatening the very fabric of their fellowship, something that could tear it apart at its seams. And as we go through the letter, we'll see what that thing is. Uh, but just to give you a bit of a heads up now, it's false teaching, it's heresy, teaching that departs from the Bible, that moves people away from the gospel of Jesus. And so in that threat, uh, the apostle he wants this church to know what real, authentic Christianity looks like. He wants them to know what true Christianity is. He wants them to know the, the blessing of having the assurance of the forgiveness of sin. And he wants them to know what it looks like to abide with Jesus. And he starts the letter with the very foundation of their fellowship. In verse 1, that which was from the beginning. Now, we read this, and if you're familiar with the Bible, this saying might bring to mind passages like Genesis chapter 1, which says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Or the Gospel of John chapter 1, In the beginning was the Word. Here John says that which was from the beginning. What draws the fellowship together we're already seeing is from eternity. What draws us together is not insignificant. In verse 2, we learn that which was from the beginning with God was also with God the Father. 
but has now been made known or revealed, or in the NIV it uses the word appeared. It's talking about Jesus. The eternal Son, Jesus, has come into our world in the flesh. And John and his companions are witnesses, eyewitnesses. Verse 1 again, it says, That which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, they were there, their first person witnesses to Jesus. They saw the resurrected Jesus. Now, the apostle didn't just hear about this on the radio or watch it in the latest news update on TV. He was there. He heard. He saw. He touched. News reporters, they always like to interview someone who was there, don't they? Someone with first-hand experience. Uh, The floods uh, in Victoria this last week, they like to interview someone who saw the rain, who saw the flooding, who was a part of the the building a sand wall, whose house has been affected. They want that first-person testimony. Well, that is John to Jesus. He witnessed Jesus. He was there. But notice not only that he saw him and heard him and touched him, but he also proclaims him and his message, the word of life, the word of the gospel, the good news of how Jesus died for our sin and rose again so that we could have eternal life. And we see that in verse 2. The life appeared. We have seen it and testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. Jesus, the eternal Son who brings eternal life, is proclaimed. This is how we have access to Jesus through the eyewitness testimony of the apostles, which is written down for us in the New Testament. This is where we learn of Jesus. This is where we learn of eternal life. And because it's first-person eyewitness testimony, we can know that it is the real deal. There are people coming into the church, not this church, but the church here in 1 John, and they're teaching false things about Jesus. It's like when you go to Bali and you buy a Rolex watch from a street market stall, you know you're probably not getting the real deal. It might look like the real deal, but you know that it's not. It's not the same workmanship. It's not the same quality. Well, people are coming in and they're telling people about a Jesus that is not real, a fake Jesus. But the Jesus that John tells us about here in 1 John is the real deal. And it is this proclaimed message about Jesus that actually leads to fellowship. Verse 3, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. When we received the proclaimed good news of the gospel found in Jesus, we are drawn into fellowship, into community, community with God, and community with each other. And this fellowship, it's a a deep connection. It's a profound relationship. In the Lord of the Rings, in the first book, they call it the Fellowship of the Ring. And the various nations, from the hobbits to the elves to the dwarfs to humans, 
Uh, they make a fellowship. They come together to be of one purpose, and their purpose is to travel to the fires of Mordor uh, with the one ring to rule them all and destroy it. They are one in purpose, drawn together into a fellowship. Well, that is what happens when we receive the gospel of Jesus. We are drawn into a fellowship, a fellowship with God and a fellowship with each other. And so the foundation of our fellowship, and this is really important, is the proclaimed gospel of Jesus. The historical Jesus. The eternal son who has been seen and heard and touched. Before receiving the message of the gospel, we did not have fellowship with God. We were his enemies, out of fellowship. But now through Jesus, we can know him. And we can know his people. See, our Christian fellowship, our Christian community here this morning comes not from the fact that we meet in the same building, not from whether we like the same type of church service, not from having the same likes or dislikes or hobbies. It, it doesn't come from doing things together. All, all these things may help. At its very foundation, it comes through the proclamation of the message of Jesus and the eternal life that he brings. That is at the heart of our fellowship this morning. And so that means that at the heart of all our fellowship needs to be the proclamation of the gospel. If we just started meeting together and stopped proclaiming the good news of Jesus, if we downplay it or remove it, we're removing the very foundation of our fellowship. And this is one of the main concerns that John has for this church which he is addressing. There are people denying the message. They're denying that Jesus has come in the flesh. That's a disaster because if you depart from the message of the gospel, you're actually tearing that fellowship that you have with God and with each other apart. One area in church life where we're seeing this actually is where you're part of the Anglican church and nationally the Anglican church is... Uh, having a, a bit of a, a break at the moment. There's a, there's a line, a division down the middle. And it's being caused because uh, there are parts of the Anglican Church in Australia, sadly, that are, have moved away from the gospel proclaimed to us by the apostles. They moved away from the teaching of the Bible. And so the fellowship is broken. At a more local level, we need to heed the warning and make sure that our fellowship is grounded in the proclaimed gospel of Jesus Christ. That is what holds us together. That is what draws us together, together with God and together with each other. It's why uh, we've got the proclaiming Christ in the East Kimberley is our motto. It's one of the reasons. As we proclaim Christ, that is how we grow together. That is how we grow our community. And this is why in verse 4, John says, we write to you to make our joy complete. John wants this little church to hold fast to the gospel message, to remain in fellowship with God and with them, so that on the day that Jesus returns, they'll be there and John's joy will be complete. So that is the foundation of our fellowship, the proclaimed gospel. But then what does the life of fellowship look like? 
And we're going to look at these next few verses under three subheadings. And the first one is walking in the light. In verse 5, John expands on the message he's been proclaiming. He says, This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. God is light, not darkness. The first thing God created in Genesis when darkness was over the deep was light. God is light and light comes from God. And we're told in Revelation 21 and 22 that in the new creation, God will be our light. And that God is light means that there is no darkness in him. There's no room for shadows. The sun is a bright light. When you look at it in the middle of the day, it's so bright you can only look at it for a few seconds. Well, God is light. He's brighter than the sun. It's not possible for darkness to be in him. But it refers more to just the brightness. Saying God is light is also talking about how he is holy, he is pure, he is perfect. There's no evil in him. There's no dark underside waiting to be revealed, no hidden flaw. Now, our media love searching for hidden flaws in our politicians, in our celebrities. Well, they could search forever with God and not find anything. And because we're in fellowship with God who is light, who is pure and holy, we are expected to walk as he would walk, in the light. Verse 6, if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. See, if we're not walking in the light, you see what it says? We lie about having fellowship with the Father because it's not possible to receive the gospel message of eternal life and not have the way that you live changed. Because when we're drawn into fellowship with God, we are now in fellowship with the one who is light and we will walk in his ways. Now, if we're looking for a practical example of what that might look like, well, let Jesus be our model. Hear Jesus' words and put Jesus' words into practice. And if we do that, we can have assurance that we are in fellowship with the Father. In verse 7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. So our fellowship with God, our fellowship with each other, requires us to walk in the light. But the other thing we need to know as we we are in fellowship with God and fellowship with each other is we are to walk in the light, but we also need to know our own darkness. Walking in the light does not mean that we will never sin or that we can ever be perfect this side of heaven. I heard the story once of someone who was preaching to a room full of people, uh, sinless perfection, which is the idea that it's possible to be perfect this side of heaven and never sin and say the right things and think the right things and do the right things before God 100% of the time. And as he was preaching this, uh, someone else from the congregation got up, got the jug of water that was next to the speaker's lectern and poured it on the speaker's head. Now, I don't know how godly that particular action was, but the speaker's response was telling. He started cursing. He got angry. He got frustrated, demonstrating that it's not possible to not sin. And actually, if we think that we're in this category of people that never sin, that never do anything wrong before God, we're told in verse 8, 
we're deceiving ourselves. We're lying to ourselves. Have a look. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Sin is those times where we have walked in darkness, living as if God is not the God of the universe, but that we're in control, that we get to choose how we want to live. And we've all, we've all done it. We've all walked in darkness. We all, there are still moments where we still walk in darkness. And if you think you haven't or that you don't, you're deceived. And John here is telling us we need a reality check. But it's worse than just lying to yourself. Actually, if you say that you don't sin, you're also calling God a liar. Verse 10, if we claim that we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. We make God out to be a liar because God tells us that we are sinful. He tells us that we have fallen short of the glory of God in Romans chapter 3. We will sin. But if we walk in light, the blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin. Jesus washes us clean so our sin is forgiven. He makes us perfect before God. But that does not mean that it's okay to keep walking in darkness. To keep walking as if you're not in fellowship with God. See, when you walk into a house that's dark, what do you do? You turn on the light. Because we like walking in the light. And so when we come into fellowship with God who is light, it makes sense that we too will want to walk in the light, walk in his light and no longer in darkness. Now, as Christians, there are still going to be sins that burden us. Sins that take the Spirit of God to work in our hearts and the passing of time to to shake off. Sinful habits are often hard to get rid of. There will be outbursts of anger, of impatience, of poor decisions that are sinful. You know this. We live this every day. God is a realist. He's not far-fetched and out of touch. He knows our reality. He knows that we have sinful hearts. He knows that we cannot be perfect this side of heaven. But we are to know our sin, but still be people seeking to walk in the light because we want to walk in the light. We want to hear Jesus' words and put them into practice. The last subheading there is being assured of forgiveness. So we want to walk in the light. We need to know our darkness, but we also need to be assured of our forgiveness. And John really wants to make this point. He makes it three times, we're only going to read that in two of them, but he makes it three times. In verse 9 he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And skipping ahead to chapter 2 verse 1, he writes, so that they will not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now, this is worth understanding. If you take nothing else home from today, this is worth taking home. God is faithful, we learn in verse 9, and he will forgive us because in chapter 2, verse 1, Jesus, the eternal Son, is our advocate. Jesus stands before the Father, making our case before him. Can you imagine Jesus before the Heavenly Father saying to him, I am the righteous one. I have never sinned. 
I shed my blood on the cross to be an atoning sacrifice. I am the one who pays for this person's sin, your sin, for the sins of the world. The person who has placed their faith in me, they are mine. I've purified them from their sin. I've cleansed them of their unrighteousness. Of all the times they have walked in darkness, no matter how dark it was or is. For those who believe the proclaimed message of the gospel of Jesus, who place their faith in him, Jesus is our advocate before God. Another way to think about it is he is our heavenly lawyer. In a court case, lawyers advocate on behalf of who they represent, don't they? The, the Brittany Higgins rape case was on this week and both sides had lawyers advocating for them, representing them to judge and jury, telling their story. Well, Jesus is our heavenly lawyer and he has an airtight case advocating for us before the Father, saying, I have provided justice for them in my blood on the cross. And because of this, Our sins are forgiven. They're wiped clean. God's judgment is averted. And if our faith is in Jesus, we can have assurance that our sins are forgiven. We can have assurance that we are in fellowship with our Heavenly Father. So we need to know that. We need to live that. Our forgiveness, our right standing before God is not based on our feelings. It's not based on our good works. It's not based on church attendance. It's only based on Jesus. And that gives us great freedom as we seek to live for God. The forgiveness of sins is not just something that we hope for like a child might hope for a pony at Christmas. But it's a certain, assured hope, won for us by what Jesus has done on the cross. If you trust Jesus, your sins are forgiven. But it does say in verse 8, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive our sins. What happens when you walk out of church today and, and something causes you to sin? Someone runs into the back of your car or pulls out in front of you and you have to hit the brakes and you you yell in frustration or you, you get into a fight with someone in your family. Are those sins forgiven? Well, if we are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, the answer is yes. We can be assured of that. If we are aware of our sins, we ought to confess our sins. That's why we have a confession in church here every week. Uh, For we are in relationship with God, and when we sin, we are sinning against our Heavenly Father, and so it is good and right that we apologize. But there are many sins that I'm sure that I've never confessed. And King David in the Psalms, he knew that there was sins that he didn't even know about. He writes in Psalm 19, verse 12, Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. He'd sinned. He knew that there were sins there, but he he didn't know what they were. He didn't know what they were to confess, but he prayed, forgive me from those things that I don't even know about. And so if our faith is in Jesus, we don't have to worry that if we happen to sin between our last prayer of confession and meeting our maker Jesus, 
that our sins won't be forgiven. We don't need to worry about that because Jesus forgives our sins. We can have full assurance. Jesus is our advocate, our heavenly lawyer. And so I want to encourage you today, particularly if you haven't accepted the gospel, if you haven't had your sins forgiven by Jesus, to do that. To place your trust in him, to be drawn into fellowship with the Heavenly Father, to be drawn into fellowship with his people and to know the, the freedom of having your sins forgiven by Jesus. The foundation of our fellowship is the good news of Jesus proclaimed to us. Authentic Christianity is one where we are in fellowship with the Father, with the church, where we walk in the light, where we know our sin, but we are assured of forgiveness because Jesus is our advocate. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you that there is now no condemnation for those whose faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ, that we can have the promised assurance of the forgiveness of sin because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that you would help us to be people who live that out. And we thank you, Heavenly Father, that when we trust Jesus, we are brought into a relationship with you, with your church, and that, that is the foundation of our community. Help us, Lord, to, to live that out and to never let go of the gospel. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.